distance from others to the gospel, they, the gospel poured out of them, and their ministry was heard throughout the nations. So as we read verses 5 through 10, this is Paul remembering his time with the Thessalonians, remembering his ministry to them. And I want you to actually imagine this being said about you. What if these words were an echo of your life? How would your life need to be different, or what would you need to do in order for it to be true? So let me read for us 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us into service for you, that you have rescued us, that, that you called us out of, uh, out of the depth of sin, out of, of hearts made of stone that were not able to see your love, not able to see your grace, and yet you gave us a new heart so that we can hear the gospel, hear the good news, that we are loved not based on what we do, but based on what you have done on the cross for our sins. And not only that, but you have called us to go and share this message with others. We pray as we hear this sermon that, that it is a refreshing, uh, roaring seed that, call, that reminds us of your love and reminds us of how you've given us your power and your authority to go and spread the good news of the gospel. In your name, amen. When I say the word evangelism, what do you think about? Maybe you think about the time that you were evangelized to. Maybe you grew up in a church and you remember the legions of Sunday school teachers and, and pastors and adults who told you over and over and over again that, that you are loved, that there, there, there's a Savior for you, that you need to repent and believe. Or maybe you were handed a gospel tract once and, and you opened the tract and in that moment, God changed your heart. Or maybe you were a struggling young adult who had uh, many answers, or sorry, many questions, and someone came alongside you and, and provided answers and continually reminded you over and over and over again that despite these hard questions, God loves you. Or maybe when I say evangelism, you think of the great evangelist, Billy Graham or, or C.S. Lewis, or maybe a class that you took or books that you read on evangelism of, oh, I, I've, I've taken an apologetics class that I'm able to answer the hard questions that non-Christians have, and I, and I know techniques on how to give away my faith and share my faith. Or maybe when I say evangelism, you're, you're like many of us, that you associate that word with failure. I, I, I'm not, I don't evangelize enough. I haven't done a good enough job. I, I haven't shared my faith like I should. I, I've, I, I, and when I do try to share my faith, I don't do it well. It, it hasn't gone the way that it's supposed to be. Well, th this sermon this morning is about evangelism, but I, I want you to take heart. I don't want this to be a discouragement. I want this to be an encouragement because we get to go forth into the world with God's power and God's authority, and we get to remind ourselves daily of the gospel and the joy that that brings to our lives, and we get to evangelize with both words and deeds. So today, we're actually going to be imitators of Paul, the Thessalonians, and Christ. Now, 
the Thessalonians were imitating Paul, and Paul was imitating Christ. So really, through this whole sermon, we're just imitating Christ. But I think it's helpful to have sort of that diagram for you of let's, let's look at what Paul did, let's look at what the Thessalonians did, and let's look at what Christ did. So first, let's see how we imitate Paul. Do you remember that moment when you first understood the gospel, when God changed your heart and you had been told you had been forgiven? That moment when, when the burden of sin had been lifted from your life and you were told you are not loved based on what you have done, but based on what Christ has done for you and based on who you are in God's kingdom, that you are adopted as sons and daughters. Did that moment not come with authority and power and conviction? That's how it was for the Thessalonians. Look back at verse 5. It says, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And to give you some backgrounds on the Thessalonians, they actually lived in a city of about 100,000. And that was a pretty big city at the time. And the city was large enough that they had multiple temples and, and multiple idols to different gods. So you had the Roman gods, and you had the Greek gods, and you had the Egyptian gods. And they actually had a big enough Jewish population that there was a Jewish temple there. So when Paul arrived, he went to the Jewish temple, and he began preaching for three weeks to them. And he came preaching with authority. But here's the thing. Paul didn't come with his authority. He came with God's authority through God's word. As it says, we came to you with words, with, God, with the gospel. All right? And what's great about hearing the gospel is it's not about my authority that I bring forth to it, or it's not Paul's authority that he goes forth with it. It's God's authority that we go forth with God's Word. And Paul in the book of Philippians actually talks about this, where he says, as the status of a Jew, of a righteous Jew, of a zealous Jew, of a Jew before the law, I could have come to you. But in fact, I consider that authority a loss in comparison to the love of Christ and the authority of the gospel behind God. So instead, he comes to the Thessalonians with the authority of God, the Word of God. The God of the universe is speaking to us through his word and giving us his words to speak truth to others. And it's not the authority of the world that we go forth, because I could easily say, oh, I have a master's of divinity. I've studied this stuff. You should listen to me. Or there's this temptation to think, I, I've been a longtime Christian. I've been a Christian for 10 years. I feel like I'm, I have the authority to go forth and spread the word. Or I, I've studied a lot. I've studied books, so I can now evangelize. But that's not the truth. If you've been a Christian a week, you have the authority of God behind you to go forth and spread the message of the gospel. The deep, soul-feeding words that refresh, restore, and redeem this word, world are put here and have God's authority in them. And Paul took the authority of God and the word of God and shared it with the Thessalonians. And we are to share it with others because it's the very word of God that transforms people. And not only that, it's not, it's not just Paul's, you know, resting on God's authority, but Paul doesn't even rest on his power or his wisdom. It's not by his power that the Thessalonians were changed, and it's not even by the wisdom of the Thessalonians, like, hey, we figured it out, we understand the gospel now. It's actually the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul is giving credit where credit is due. He's saying it's the authority, the Word of God, plus the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that hearts are changed. Because all of us have this heart of stone in which we are, we, are, we are only able to see our sinful desires, where we're only able to satisfy this soul craving that we have, that, that we're not able to see the love of God, we're not able to see the grace of God, we're not able to see the forgiveness offered by God. 
But when someone brings us the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able then to answer the call and embrace grace and see the love of God. And Paul is reminding them that it's not through their power or wisdom that they were changed. And it's not even by his power that they were changed. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we are changed. So the gospel has power, not worldly power, not, con- not able because I'm smart and I have eloquence to be able to convince you to change. It's because the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. And finally, Paul says that the gospel comes with conviction. Now, the genuineness of what we say typically goes along with our conviction. Not always. There's plenty of people on TV yelling, and, and I don't think they believe what they're saying half the time, all right? But it's important that when we hear and share the gospel that we have conviction behind our words. And where does Paul place his conviction? It's actually on the previous two points. His conviction is on the authority and power of God, a power greater than himself. He gets to go forth and say, I am an ambassador. I am a messenger. My conviction rests on the fact that there is a God of the universe who loves you, and I'm going to share that message. The boldness that he has in Christ, we get to have that boldness as well. The conviction is not on our ability, not on our talents, but on the authority and power of God. And let's say, let's say you're out and about, you're at a uh, food truck event, all right? It's Taco Tuesday. Food trucks are serving tacos. Congratulations, all right? So, we, so you're out at the food truck, and um, there's, there's picnic benches out, and, and you sit down at one of the benches, and because it's open seating, there's no reservations, another couple sit next to you, all right? And they're sitting, and you start having a conversation with them, and eventually they find out that you're a Christian, and it jolts them. You can tell that there's an uneasiness. And they are quick to share, we're not Christians. And not only that, we, we really don't like Christians because of this topic, be it sexual ethics or right to life or their view of Christians and politics or a Facebook post they saw earlier that day done by a Christian. And they say, I would love to hear your view on this topic. Again, whether it's sexual ethics or right to life, how do you respond? Do you say, well, I've, I've studied this. I've, I've researched this a lot. I, I, I know how to answer this question. Or do you say, it really doesn't matter what I believe, because I actually believe that there's a God of the universe who's far wiser, far smarter than I am, who has an answer for you. And not only that, I, I don't really want to focus on this topic, because I prefer to focus on the topic that God wrote about more, your need to be in a re- perfect relationship with him and the fact that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. See, our boldness, our, our answer to that question doesn't need to come from our authority, doesn't need to come from our power or convincing other people. It just needs to come and say, I'm a simple messenger. I'm an ambassador. I'm not the king. I'm not the one who has it all together. God is, and let me point you to him. So the Thessalonians heard the gospel because Paul brought it to them, not by his authority, not by his power, not even by his conviction, but he brought them to the feet of the Lord of the universe who lifted them up and changed their hearts. And this is our story too, is it not? That someone in your life came to you and said, you need to repent and believe. And, they didn't, and, and now when you share your story of this testimony, you might say, hey, my youth leader told me about the gospel, but we don't say, it's him who changed me. We say, God changed me. God changed my heart. And that's where we get to go out and share our story with others and say, I want God to change your heart. I want to share the love of Christ with you so that you go to God and you repent and you believe, not because of me, but because of God. 
And so we imitate Paul by going out with authority and power and conviction, sharing the good news of the gospel. And not only do we imitate Paul, but we get to imitate the Thessalonians as well. Because the Thessalonians heard the gospel, and they started applying the gospel to their lives. And a lot of times we like clear, concise summaries of the gospel, and and there's one here. Look at verse 9. For they themselves report of the kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The Thessalonians' old way of serving false gods was this, is that if they did something wrong, if they think they displeased the gods, they would take a sacrifice or take an offering to the temple and give it and say, please forgive me. I hope this is enough. I hope this is enough for you to make, be happy with me and not punish me. And not only that, but if they wanted blessing, if you wanted your business to succeed, if you wanted crops to grow, then you had to bring a portion to the gods and say, please bless me this year. Please give me more money. Give me more wealth. But our relationship with God doesn't start like that. It doesn't happen like that where we go to God and say, look, I've brought you enough so now you can forgive me for my sin. Or I've, I've brought you enough. I've, I've served in vacation Bible school, so now you should bless me this week. All right? It does not begin with our perfection or being on a good scale. It begins with his perfection and ultimately his payment on the cross. <coughs> we are to repent of sin, but it is not repentance done through works. It's repentance done by the work of Christ. So when we go to God, we repent and we say, we turn away from our idols. We say, we say God, I no longer want to serve the idols that have caused me pain that have caused other people's pain in my life. Those things, those sins that we try to hide to make sure, I I don't want anyone to find out about this because (coughs) there is shame behind it. Or those painful experiences, those sins that we've been carrying for years saying, I can never forgive myself for it. Well, you're right, you can't forgive yourself, but God can. God is the one who forgives. And if this is you, then this is a call to imitate the Thessalonians and repent. And I know it sounds scary. I know it sounds scary because it's not just turning away from idols. You are also now called to serve God. And I asked in the beginning of this sermon what, what you would have to do or what you think about if these words were said about you. About the Thessalonians, they were said about you as well. And we know that if we actually want to imitate the Thessalonians then, and serve God, we're going to have to change. And, and we don't like change. Change isn't fun. But many of us can admit that serving the things of this world doesn't work. When we are younger, we think, if, if I just get this championship sixth grade basketball trophy, I will be happy for the rest of my life. And then when we get it, we're not happy anymore. We get into high school and we say, if only I get into the college that I want to get into, then I, then I will be happy. But then we get into that college and then we say, if only I get this job that I want, then I'll be happy. And then we get the job and then it's like, if only I get this raise, then I'll be happy because I'll have more money serving the idols, serving the things of this world, we always think this is going to bring me happiness, and ultimately it doesn't. And we then need to serve another idol, and then we need to serve another idol. But when we serve God, when we turn away from idols and start to serve God, God promises us an everlasting and eternal protection, an umbrella of love and care that abounds, not only through this life, but for all eternity. So let this be a clear call to you this morning. If you do not have a relationship with God, or if you have been allowing sin to reign in your life, 
then turn away from that sin, repent of that sin, and turn and serve the living and true God. Because when we serve God, we are putting our trust in Him, the God of the universe. Not, not our own abilities, not our own talents, not the things of this world. But when we come under God's care, I, I want to make this clear, it doesn't mean a perfect life. We are quick to discover, as the Thessalonians have found, that, there is, there, that this world is not the way that it's supposed to be. That there will be suffering, especially when sh- spreading the gospel. Look back at verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. People might reject your call of the gospel, and we might suffer because of it. There should be little shock if there's people in our lives who do not want to hear about God out of anger or jealousy or rage towards what they consider what he has done evil, what they consider he has done as evil in their lives or unloving actions. And it is not wrong to say that there will be people that we invite to hear the gospel and they reject us because we are in relationship with God. And this causes suffering on our part. It might be that you don't get that promotion because people know you're a Christian and don't agree with your beliefs. It might be that you have friends who say, hey, I I liked hanging out with you for a while, but you've been talking about God a lot and that's not cool with me. Or it might even be family members where they say, hey, I I love being in your family, but I just don't want to be around you anymore. And there's, there's real suffering in this world. But where do the Thessalonians place their hope in the suffering? First, they, they place their hope in what we've been talking about all along. It's God's gospel. That ultimately, that's the foundation that, that they are turning away from idols. They're turning away from anything of this world and turning to the eternal, turning to the call of God. And secondly, the ending of the story is not suffering, but resurrection. Look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescued us from the coming wrath. Our suffering is actually seen through the lens of Christ's resurrection, and our resurrection as well. Suffering will end, not be the end, but will cease when the world ends and Christ returns with the joy, hope, and excitement of those who have suffered in his name in Christ. And this is why Paul said, that, he's, that the Thessalonians suffered with joy. Because there is real pain, there is real suffering, but the attitude of our Christian lives are different than the attitude of the world. The world reacts sort of like a roller coaster. I'm happy, great, I'm doing fine. All of a sudden I get unhappy, I have to do something to make myself happy again, whether that's hang out with friends, whether that's get a better job, whether that's get more money, whether that's get a new relationship, but that thing makes me happy again, so I'm happy for a while. And then all of a sudden, if I get sad again, and I don't have hope in this world, then I need to find hope in something else. And it's this roller coaster ride, up and down, up and down, up and down. But for the Christian, we place our hope and our foundation in the joy and peace of God. Now, that isn't to say that Christians don't recognize pain and recognize happiness. We are quick to point out, like, hey, we celebrated a baptism today. That's great. And we, we can recognize, hey, there, there was a death, and, and, and that's sad. But that's not where we place our hope. That's not where we place our joy. Recently, I was talking with someone whose uh, friend had died, and um, uh, they were sad by the sort of the suffering they were going through, the pain they were going through by experiencing this death. And not only that, but they they had some friends who who weren't handling the death well. Um, They didn't respect sort of the pain that the death had caused in her life. 
Uh, so, so I kind of talked with her and said, well, you know, how are you feeling? What's going on? And, and she talked about how, you know, it was, it was devastating to her that she didn't think this person should die, and, and she thinks it's wrong that they died. And then he, she talked about how she just wanted to yell at her friends and, and scream at them and say, knock it off. What are you doing? But, but in the end, she goes, but I know God's in control, and I know that God has called me to love these people. And in that moment, I saw a peace that transcended all understanding, a joy, that, a joy in suffering that knew God, knew His love, served Him, and knew that He will return and make everything right. So like Paul, we spread the message of the gospel through the world, with the Word, with the authority, with the Holy Spirit's power, and with conviction. And like the Thessalonians, we remind ourselves of the gospel daily. Even in moments of suffering, we know that there's this everlasting joy of God's love and power and control. But even in all of this, even though we say we should imitate Paul and imitate the Thessalonians, we are just imitating Christ, and, and, and they are doing it as well. So how do we do that? Well, first, who's the greatest evangelist of all time? It's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. The Word made flesh, the direct preaching came to this world through Jesus. And the Thessalonians are doing it as well. Look back at verse 8. The Lord's message, again, Christ's message, rang out from you. And that word rang out, this is the only time that it's used in the New Testament, but it means a boom. It means a a ranging gong, or my favorite description of it, it means the sound of a roaring sea. Imagine the God's Word being a roaring sea in your life, a roaring sea in your neighborhood, a roaring sea in Wilmington where you just hear it everywhere you go. And imagine the impact that it would have on your life to hear the Word of God everywhere you go and the lives of others, and not just non-believers, but believers as well. Because here's the thing is we're typically nervous to share the gospel with others. And not just share the gospels, we're, we're sometimes nervous to share that we're Christians. But here's the thing is, not only do non-believers need to hear that you're Christians, but Christians need to hear that you're Christian as well. Because haven't you found joy when you, when you discover another Christian I'm about? Just recently as I was writing my sermon, I actually saw a father and son praying together, and it brought me joy. It brought me, it brought me, it, it reminded me to pray in that moment. And not only that, but recently I was on vacation with my wife, and, and we were at a restaurant. Uh, my daughter was being uh, sat by my uh, in-laws, and and we, we were eating, we were having this deep conversation, and all of a sudden I saw the busboy just take his bucket and put it down, and he just started belting out, I'm so glad that Jesus rescued me. I'm so glad that Jesus rescued me. I'm so glad that Jesus rescued me. Hallelujah, God, Jesus rescued me. And it was amazing. I mean, in that moment, I needed to hear that. My wife was in tears. I was close to tears because even though we were having a a good conversation and date night, that was something that I just recognized. I go, you're right. I am so glad that Jesus rescued me. And it brought me this overwhelming sense of joy of even despite the fact that I am a sinner and I have failed and I have messed up and I, and I probably said the wrong thing to my in-laws and I, and I probably wasn't being the perfect husband and I probably wasn't being the perfect father, I am so glad that Jesus rescued me. So let, our, the, let the Word of God, what if it was a roaring sea in our lives? 
What if it was just constantly overpouring, coming into our lives, where we can't speak because of it. We can speak nothing else except for the Word of God to each other. And that's what I'm saying is, is bring the Word to me as well. Even though I'm a pastor, say to me, Jesus loves you. I need to hear that as well, and we need to hear that. Imagine every day having the Word of God have that impact on you. So bring the Word. Bring Christ. Be a roaring sea because your evangelism doesn't just impact non-Christians. It matters to Christians. It matters to everyone. It matters to your life, and it matters to this world. And not only that, but look how Paul ends verse 8. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. And when it says faith, it actually means by their actions. Not only did Christ bring the word, but we always point to how Christ's actions spoke volumes of what he was doing in the world. When he healed the paralyzed man, when he spoke to the woman at the well, when he didn't speak at his trial, his actions spoke of his mission, and our actions need to speak of our faith. As one person put it, Jesus sort of had this holy gossip. Hey, do you guys see what Jesus is doing now? We need that as well. We need to have someone say, hey, you know, I'd love to mow your lawn for you. Go to a neighbor. I'd love to help you take care of it. You know, I want to help you out. And they go, why? Well, because I'm a Christian. And there would be this holy gossip of, my neighbor randomly showed up at my house and wanted to mow my lawn. I let him, you know, but he says it's because he's a Christian. Or, for example, serving serving concessions at a t-ball stand volunteering, serving at a prison ministry. Let our actions speak volumes of what we believe. Because here's the problem is if, if we only evangelize with words or we only evangelize with actions, we are doing something wrong. We need to imitate Christ who's done both of them, who serves the world, serves non-Christians, serves other Christians through our words and deeds. So let me conclude with this. Why do we evangelize? Well, first, we are called to as Christians. The minute you become Christians, you are put into God's service as ambassadors. Even just a a skimming of the Gospels, we see that clearly, that we are called to spread the Word of God. And number two, though, we can remember the time that we were loved by others, ultimately loved by God, by someone evangelizing to us. I can remember that moment sitting and someone saying, you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and I'm saying you are right, and he says, you are now loved for all of eternity. No matter what you do, you are loved for all of eternity. Since God loved us first, we respond in loving him and loving others of this world. We bring the gospel to others with power and a a conviction and authority, not our own but God's. And not only that, but we preach the gospel to ourselves daily and have a life rooted in joy in spite of suffering. And we evangelize to others with words and actions. And this week, we have a great opportunity to do this. We have our vacation Bible school going on here in this church, a week filled with games and fun and snacks. But it's a week where, as a church, we together get to go and tell and show kids the good news of the gospel. Through all our lessons, songs, crafts, snacks, we are reminding them over and over and over again that there is a God who loves you, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. And he wants to bring you into his kingdom as sons and daughters. And now many of you are helping this week by physically being there. So I'm encouraging us to go forth and have, have the Word of God be a roaring sea throughout these halls this week. That conversation after conversation is brought back to that Jesus loves you, and I'm so glad that Jesus rescued me. And for those who can't be there, let the Word of God be a roaring sea in your life, where, whether at your job or in, in your community or your friends group, that, that the Word of God is shared. 
And finally, let me encourage all of us to be in prayer for our Vacation Bible School this week. We have an opportunity to have over 100 kids here who can hear the good news of Jesus and be impacted by it. And that God's will will be done and that his name will be glorified. God has called us to, into service with him, to be ambassadors, to rest on his grace. And we have a great opportunity to have it be a blessing in our lives, in other people's lives, and in this world. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I am so glad that you rescued me, that you cared for us, that you brought us into your kingdom as sons and daughters, that you are our good, good Father, that you are our ultimate Father, that we can come to you and, and confess our sins, turn away from idols, and turn to you and be under your protection and care. We ask as we go out this morning that, that the word of God is a roaring sea in our lives, that we continually remind ourselves of the gospel, that in spite of suffering, we have an everlasting joy. And not only that, but we are able to share with others our faith so that when we run into other Christians, we are mutually encouraged. And when we run into non-Christians, we can share with them that there is a God who loves them. And let us remember always that you have come and paid the punishment for our sin so that we can be in a perfect and everlasting relationship with you. In your name, amen. We have